so if you're turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to be in, uh, we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. This is uh, one of those change-up messages where this isn't what I was thinking I was going to be preaching about this week. I had something else in mind. But I really feel like God's doing a lot of big things in my life and in our church and and God was directing me to talk about this so it may not be as polished as as some messages but I feel like it's what I'm supposed to talk about and you know leading up to and tying into what Pastor Bruce is going to bring next week so I'm just excited about what God's going to do this year in us and through us so today we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 7 verse 1 and today I just want to spend a few minutes talking to you about movement, about movement. You may have noticed I prayed a couple of times during the prayer, God, move us. God, move me. And that's a prayer that I've been praying, and I found out that that's a pretty dangerous prayer, right? If you make a commitment here, I challenge you right now, okay? I know a lot of you, hopefully all of you, pray every, you're praying every day. Definitely all of you that took that challenge last week, you're praying every day. So let me just challenge you in that. Add those three words to your prayer every morning. Let me know what happens by next week. God, move me. That's it, three words. Pray that every morning and tell me if something happens. It will. Some, you know, after about seven days, you say, God, move me, you might just start crying. I promise you. Start asking him to move you and... I was about to say we'll have a little testimony service and you can tell how he did, but we might not, I'm not going to say something we might not do. Get out of hand. (laughs) Pray that every morning, God move me and see what happens. The world is decreasing in movement. Scientists, doctors, and psychologists all agree that all movement affects our emotions our mental health, and our physical state. That when you are not moving, you are more susceptible to sickness, disease, obesity, depression, suicidal thoughts, and the list goes on and on and on. From not moving, from being stagnant, from no movement, all these things come out of it. The less movement we have, the darker society gets. Right? That's what all these, they've written all these papers and done all these studies, and I was reading all these things, and everybody agrees. Like nobody's arguing with it. From the scientist to the psychologist to the doctor, they all agree. Humans are meant to move. We were never meant to just sit still, we were never meant to not move around. The body contributes far more to our lives than just physical attributes such as strength and endurance. It plays a major role in our emotional state, our learning ability, and even in our relationships. Movement. Did you know that? Like you moving and exercising and getting outside and walking around and seeing the sunshine, it plays a major role in your mental health, your emotional state, your relationships, your relationship with your wife and your family and other church members. The body is intimately involved in all of our thought processes our understanding, our decision-making, the mind and the body are inseparable. That's what this study was saying and proving. We're made to move. God made us to do. We're made to move and not just sit still and not be in the same place we are today, a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now. We're supposed to grow spiritually we should be growing right we should be learning we should be growing that's that's how we're fulfilled that's how we chase purpose that's how we find happiness 
is walking in our purpose and growing and growing in our relationships. Right? We're supposed to grow in our relationship with God and with each other. We're not supposed to just stay the same year after year. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to move. You know, with movement comes change. That's so why we have to be okay with change. When, when we're moving, when we're growing, you change. Things look different, and that's good. Not only is it not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Like growth is good. God, move us. There was a study done, the most recent one I could find was, um, it was done in 2020, early in the year. And it shows that in less than two generations, movement has dropped by 20% in the UK, 32% in the US, and 45% in China. Right? And they say that China was a much bigger jump in, in the study. It says um, it's talking about how um, China was more into technology. So the more technology you get, the less movement there is. Because right? everything's at your fingertips. And so the more and more things we invent and the more and more technology is and the more and more convenient transportation is and like there's less and less movement. Humans don't have to get out and interact with each other. Right? Because you can order groceries to your house and you can jump on Amazon instead of going and getting what you need. Or you could, it, it's just, it's very convenient. But then it slows our movement. And I'm talking about physically, like just getting up and walking around Walmart. But, you know, I'm also talking about our human connection. Right? Because if you're doing what you need to do on the computer and you're not connecting with humans, you're not seeing the outside world, you're not touching the lost, you're not feeding the hungry or clothing the naked or making relationships with your brothers and sisters in your community or you're like, see, we're cutting all that off with technology. The study says that movement is at an all-time low in the whole world. Movement is at an all-time low. But stress, depression, anxiety, and suicide is at an all-time high worldwide. So while technology and things are making it easier for us, right? It makes it more convenient or it makes it so that we can get more done, right? If I don't have to waste time walking around Walmart grocery shopping because I can just order my groceries in, then I can spend that time doing something else and I can get more done. And that's true and we we can get a lot more done, but we just need to be careful that we're not giving up movement. We're not giving up connection, right, for convenience. Or I think I said last week in the message that just because you're busy doesn't mean you're doing what you're supposed to do. Like, just because you're busy doesn't mean you're walking in purpose. So stress and depression and anxiety and suicide at an all-time high while movement is at an all-time low. Coincidence? I don't think so. The reason why listed in the study was, I already named a lot of them, vehicles, machines, technology. I was thinking about how last time I was at the airport, you know, I, I mean, I think they're super cool and they're fun to jump on, but Man, we've even created moving sidewalks that go through the airport so you don't even have to walk. Right? You just go stand on the thing and it moves. And I, I was thinking, man, we as Americans have gotten pretty lazy that we have to, we made moving sidewalks so we don't even want to walk to our airplane that's going to fly us while we sit. Right? Like, we don't, like, that's, that's crazy. And I was on it trying, like, it's pretty sweet to, like, moonwalk on it and stuff like that. It's, it's actually kind of fun. But I was thinking, man, Netflix has put Blockbuster and Movie Gallery and all them, like, for you young people. And when I was first going on a date, when I was younger, we could go, like, on a Friday night. Me and Jesse could go walk around the movie store and pick out some VHS videos 
at least we had to walk around for an hour trying to find a video in there that we could rent, get a little movement, a little bit of exercise, get out in the fresh air before we went and sat down for two hours. See, but now they're out of business because of Netflix. And we could just sit down and stream it. You don't have to get up and go anywhere. You don't even have to move. It's at your fingertips. And Amazon and even Grubhub. You don't even have to run and get something to eat. They'll just bring the food right to your door. You can pay with a credit card and tell them just drop it off on the front door. You don't even have to see anybody. Just open the door and pick up your milkshake. Complain that it was melted and they'll bring you another one. Like, awesome, is it? I was thinking about all the different ways that you know, just machines and technology and just reading those, this article and this study was making me think of, um, like, just think of any random job. Like, what if you did tree removal? Right, there's some guys in the room that do some tree removal. Well, guess what? Back in the day, if you rewind a lot of years, when Tyler and Levi and Malachi walk out there to remove this giant oak tree, they would have all three been holding an axe and Malachi would probably have a hatchet. He hadn't graduated to an axe yet, like if he was an apprentice or something. But think about that. How long would it take them to chop down a giant oak tree, chop the limbs off of it, chop it up into wood chips to put around uh, the little house on the prairie cottage, uh, Use one of those big two-man saws to cut it up into lumber that could actually be used for something. It might take them like a month for a giant oak tree to actually cut it down. Oh, and don't forget the stumps, right? Because then you want to get rid of the stumps, so you would chop it with your axe, and you would light a fire on it, and it would burn down some, and you'd chop that out and burn it down some. Guess what? They can pull up with lift and a skid steer and chainsaws and a stump grinder pulled behind one of the trucks and they could pull up and take out a giant oak tree completely chip it up into little wood chips have a stack of lumber sitting there and the stump ground down and a flower bed planted in one day right like well I don't I I think they could probably do it in a day Levi's laughing maybe they couldn't (laughs) but close to it. Like, think about that in every area, how far our society has come that it's awesome because we can get so much more done. But we're created to move. We're created to connect. Why move when you can hit a button? Because we need movement. You can't say that you have faith with no movement. It goes against Scripture. You can't say, I'm a person of faith. I'm living in faith. I'm stepping out. Just even that. I'm stepping out on faith. Stepping out takes you doing something. It takes some movement. Remember James, Jesus' brother? He said, I'll show you my faith by my works or by the things that I'm doing. Look at my life, look at what I'm doing, and you'll know what I believe. You'll see my faith. You can't have faith without movement. All right, let's look at this story. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel. And two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. They were in the middle of a famine. People were literally starving to death. Their animals were starving to death. And they were having to make decisions like, do we want to let the cow die or the horse die? We only have enough feed to keep one of them. Like, it was bad. This wasn't like a, this was a really, really bad time. And then God's prophet, Elisha, he prophesied, oh, by tomorrow about this time. There'll be groceries for sale, and they'll be cheaper than they used to be. What? Like that makes no sense. How could that even happen? 
There's no way that could happen. No, we don't even have that. There's not even the resources for that. What he just said didn't make sense. Verse 2. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. See, he was saying that's not going to happen. That can't happen. Well, even if heaven opened up, that is not going to happen. Why would you even say that? Why would you dream that? You know, the naysayers, you know any negative people in your life that everything you bring to them, they're going to tell you why it's not going to work, how God's not going to do that, or how, how could that even happen? That's impossible. That's not going to happen. Verse 3. And there were four leprous men. Notice, it doesn't even tell us their names. I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert if you don't know. These are like the heroes of our story here today. And we don't know what their names were. All we know is they were leprous men. They had flesh rot. They were rejected and kicked out. They weren't allowed to go to church. They weren't allowed in the city or in the town. They weren't allowed to hug anybody or touch anybody. They were outcast. They were kicked out. They were leprous men. What if that's how your story started? Like your biggest problem, the biggest thing you have going against you in life was how they started your story. I was about to give some examples, but I shouldn't. You just think about what's the biggest thing that you've got in your life, the hardest thing that you've got to face, the biggest problem that you have, and think like, what if that's how you were described? And there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate. They were just outside the city gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? Bro, why are we just going to sit here until we die? We should move. There should be some movement. I know we got leprosy, but why are we just going to sit here until we die? We got to move. We got to do something. Right, there's got to be something we could do. Are you doing something? No matter what season you find yourself in, because some of us, we may be in different seasons or different places in life. We are in different places in life. A lot of different places are represented in the room. But wherever you are, are you doing something? Are you doing what you know to do? Are you doing what you can do? Are you obeying the last thing that God told you? Or are you just asking for him to tell you a new thing? That maybe you would like the new thing better than the last thing. And God's like, do the last thing. But God, give me something new. And he's like, you didn't do what I told you before. So are you moving? Are you doing something? No matter what season or situation you're in right now, are you doing something to get better? Are you doing something to grow? Mentally, physically, spiritually, are you stretching yourself? Are you challenging yourself? Are you... Are you just content and complacent? Are you just procrastinating? Oh, I know I need to do something in that area. Oh, I know I just, I want to grow in that area. I want to get better at that, but you don't practice. Or I want to, so are you doing something to get better? They said, why are we going to sit here till we die? I ain't going to sit here till I die. Watching the grass grow. Verse 4. If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we shall also die. Same result. They're just going through the process. We're going to die if we stay here, or we're going to die if we go in the city. Now, therefore, come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. And if they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. See, there's an army camped not far out there, and it was their enemies. It was the Syrians. It was this giant army that was, would kill them, probably. But they're sitting there saying, hey, if we sit here, we're going to die. If we go in the city, we're going to starve to death, and we're going to die. 
if we get up and run into the Syrians' camp, either we're going to live or they're going to kill us and we're going to die. It's a 50-50 chance. We're going to die sitting here anyways. So pretty much they're saying, what's the worst that could happen? They kill us? Saves us some of the suffering we're going through now until we die anyways. Verse 5, and they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. They come into the camp and they're like, hey, we're here with the lepers. Hey, what? And there's no one there. They're like, hello. Start looking intense. Nobody's there. There's food and gold and all kind of stuff. People just took off. There's keys and cell phones and um, not keys and cell phones, but everybody was gone. Verse 6. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and the noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Four lepers decided, I'm not going to sit here until I die. I'm sick and tired of just sitting here starving to death and barely making it by every day and hoping that I get enough food to live again for tomorrow. I'm, I'm sick and tired of just getting by. I'm going to move. What's the worst that could happen? I'd lose my life. It's better than just sitting there until I do. And so four weak, broken-down lepers with problems that had been rejected and kicked out, outcast, started walking. And they didn't even know what was happening. Because in the spirit, their footsteps, God was making them echo and sound like chariots and thousands and thousands of men and kings and armies. And, and, and what the enemy and what the thing that they were coming up against was hearing, they didn't even know what was happening. All they were doing was moving, taking a step not content with staying where they are. They were just moving. It makes me think about tons of other stories throughout the Bible. Right? What about Jericho? They didn't have a wrecking ball or some bombs to take down the walls. They just moved. God said, I just need you to walk. I need you to trust me. I'll, I'll do the miraculous. I'll do something amazing. But I'm going to need you to get up, cross that river, and start walking. And you're not going to see results right away because that's how you have faith. That's how you learn to trust. It's, the wall might not fall the first day. Just keep walking. You can't hear the vibrations of the footsteps of the obedient. Of somebody stepping out in faith and saying there's got to be movement. I'm not going to stay where I've always stayed or be content with what I've always had. James, Jesus' brother, to quote him again, remember where he said that faith without works is dead? Think about that for a minute. James told us that. Faith without works is dead. You want a dead faith? I don't want a dead faith. I'm a person of faith, but... But if there are no works, or can I say if there is no movement, right? If you're not doing anything about your faith, you're not stepping out, you're not using your faith, it's dead. Why? Because faith takes action. That's what it is. It's not faith if there's no action. There's this old Nike commercial. Um, it came out in 2008 and it said yesterday you said tomorrow that was it 
It had like I think it had like somebody running and they were tying their tennis shoes or something like that. And and the only words on the commercial were yesterday you said tomorrow. Because we put stuff off and we do stuff and you know what I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna build a legacy. I'm gonna step out in faith. I'm gonna make a sacrificial gift. I'm gonna be the man or the woman God's called me to be. I'm gonna work on my marriage. I'm gonna Yesterday you said tomorrow. It's time to move. It's time to step out. It's time to prove you believe what you say. Verse 7, wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight. And they left their tents and their horses and their asses. Even the camp as it was and they fled for their life. And when the lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent, and they did eat and drink and carry thence silver and gold and raiment, and they went and hid it. And then they came again, and they entered into another tent, and they carried thence also, and they went and hid it. Right, they're just coming into tents and eating and drinking all they could hold and grabbing the silver and the gold and all the clothes, and they're going out and hiding it in the woods. Or they can go get it later. And then they came back to another tent and they started doing it again. They started hoarding blessings. They started getting kind of greedy. Or thinking that life was all about stuff. How much can I get for me? And when God blessed them, they made the mistake of thinking, hey, this is all for me. And so the blessings were coming to them but not through them. God was blessing them, and, and rather than them using it to, to help somebody else or to change the world or to build a legacy, or they were just letting it all be poured on them so they could get more. And how many sets of clothes do you need? How much silver and gold do lepers need? Right? Honest, not being cold, but it's not like you got a real long lifespan left. And God did this miraculous, amazing miracle, and now you're going to let it just all stop on you? They started thinking it was all about stuff, comfort, feeding themselves. And really, honestly, they could have justified it. Right, They could have just sat and talked for a minute and easily justified it. They had been kicked out. They were rejects. They were outcasts. They weren't allowed in the church. Could have said, hey, I mean, nobody's going to want these clothes anyways because we've touched them and we're lepers and they don't even want to come near us and we're not even allowed to go see our own families and they won't let us in the synagogue because we're unclean. So (laughs) that would have been pretty easy to justify it. Look what happened. Verse 9. And then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. Guys, this isn't right, what we're doing. We're supposed to be connected to all of our people. doesn't matter how we've been treated in the past or if we were offended by how we got kicked out because we had leprosy or whatever we got going on. Man, we're being selfish. We need to go tell the king. This is wrong. We're sowing bad seeds. Something bad is going to happen if we don't make this right. So they came and they called unto the porter of the city and they told him, saying, Uh, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither a voice of a man. We didn't even hear anybody. But horses were tied up, and asses were tied, and, and the tents were just as they were, like people just ran away. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night, And said unto his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, 
Um, but I lost my place. Therefore are they gone out to the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into their city. See, the king thought it was a trap. And one of his servants answered and said, um, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city, like the ones that weren't dead, because they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. Please, just let's check it out. They took therefore two chariot horses. And the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. Go check it out. And they went after them to the Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels, which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned, and they told the king. And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Um, I've read that. I've preached this story before a while back. But as I read it this time, as I read it this week, I was thinking, you know what? The prophet prophesied that before the lepers started moving. Right? The prophet prophesied that the groceries are going to be cheap at the gate. And there was going to be plenty of them. Before the lepers had the idea to move. The prophet was told, that ain't going to work. If the windows of heaven opened up, that couldn't even happen. All that happened before they moved. There are prophecies. A prophecy is just something that God said that we re-spoke. You heard something that God said and you repeated it, right? There are prophecies. There are things that God said about your life that are already out there. Right, they're waiting on you to move. Well, I don't know what that looks like, and I might die if I went in there. And how could I ever, how could I bring back, how am I going to have groceries to feed everybody? There's no way that'll happen. We explain away our purpose. Sometimes we just need to move, take a step, have some courage. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. You're in charge, buddy. And the people trod upon him in the gate. He got trampled. And he died. As the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came down to him. Dang. Like... It wasn't like he even got executed or something for not being, uh, for not believing or not. He was actually appointed to be in charge. The king was like, hey man, you're one of my most trusted guys. Even though you didn't believe this was going to happen, I'm putting you in charge of food distribution. And Joker went down there and got trampled. Like Black Friday shopping. Just dropped him right in the gate. Ah, wheat for a shekel, barley for two shekels. No other casualties. The king's right-hand man, the only one that got trampled. Women and kids were saved. Everybody else got saved. Leprous men were saved. All like, We don't know of anybody else dying, just him. Faith without works is dead. Don't die where you are. If you have that critical, negative spirit that won't believe that God can do it, instead of having faith, and you just sit around telling why it can't happen all the time, I believe in having wisdom and being smart and thinking through things and talking through things and 
But if you just find a problem in every single thing, it's most of the time a, a sign that you're not moving. everything's just going to get worse the world's going to hell in a handbasket young people these days it's not true the worst thing for a a negative person that's getting on that track that's just killing the faith and stopping the movement and won't won't ever believe that God can do something. The worst thing is for them to be right. Because then it validates the negativity and then it just gets strong. Just like the opposite is true about the faith. Right? If you ever take a step out in faith, remember we talked about that every man's delta measure of faith, but you can work it out and grow your faith like a muscle and get your faith big. Right? Well, it's true in the opposite too. So you can work out your doubt or your fear or your negativity, and that thing will grow too. It'll get strong too. Just depends on which one you feed. I'm just keeping it real. God calls us to do something. God calls us to have faith. God calls us to trust Him and trust each other sometimes. God calls us to go for it. To run down the hill at Goliath. To march around Jericho. You know the quote, I forgot who said it, but you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. It's true. You're never going to hit it if you don't take the shot. I'm just waiting on God to give me all the details, and then I'm going to step out in obedience. That's not how it works. I wish it was. I wish He'd give you all the details, and then you could step out. That'd be incredible. That'd be awesome, wonderful. But then I wouldn't need God. Then I would never trust. I would never grow my faith. I would never need courage. If I already knew how everything was going to work out, then I could just decide if I want to do that or not. Look at Acts eleven seven. Acts eleven seven. Uh, so, no, sorry. Hebrews, Hebrews eleven seven. Well, for some reason, I wrote down Acts in my my notes but it's not Acts it's Hebrews because we were going to look at um, Hebrews 11 is like the hall of faith is what it's been called it's where they're reading about all the fathers of our faith and all the these amazing acts of faith these movements that people did and if you go read down through there we're not going to read all of them but if you go read down through there every single one of them did something they were all moving they were all stepping out they all had faith they all had courage it didn't None of them say, like, by faith, so-and-so sat on his butt under a tree until God did the miraculous. Nope. None of them say that. They all did something. They were all moving because it's talking about by faith. So verse 7 says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith by faith Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went See, a lot of times we want to receive our inheritance. We want to receive the blessings or the things that God has for us and then go, then step out. But the rest of that verse says, even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, 
he made his home in the promised land. God called him to go, and he said, okay, God, I'll obey you. I'll go, but where am I going? And God said, I'll tell you on the way. Go. He had to pack up everything and take his family and not even know where he was going. And, and think about back then when God called him to do that. It wasn't even like it is nowadays. There was no technology. It's not like he could pick up the phone and call the land of Canaan. And, you know, check and make sure if there were some houses for rent or what the weather was like. Oh, pull up his weather app and check on what the weather was like so he knew whether, you know, if he needed to get Sarah to sew him some winter coats or something like that. He just had to go. Couldn't check it out. He had to step out in faith. And he's known as the father of our faith. Father Abraham. By faith, he left what he knew, and he moved forward. The future is not going to be the same as the past. It's going to look different. And if you're growing, then that means you're changing. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward. He wasn't looking backwards. He wasn't stuck in the past. He just kept looking forward. He kept moving forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You know what that means? He wasn't looking at stuff. He was looking at a city whose architect and builder is God. He wanted to be a part of what God was building. He lived in tents. It, it just told us like he had so much faith. He's living in a tent. He's not worried about a house or a mansion or settling down and owning all. He, he was looking at a city that was built by God. A future that was built by God for his people. He was looking forward to what God was doing to what God was building, what God was designing. And he refused to get stuck on the past or on what he didn't have or why it wouldn't work. If you skip, you can go and read this sometime. I encourage you to because it'll give you faith to just read down through here about Abraham and and all the, the champions of the faith and Jacob. If you skip down to verse 23 is talking about Moses. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months and after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at that right there. The first one I read you was by faith, Moses' parents hit him, right? The next verse I read you was, by faith Moses did something. Don't rest in what somebody else did or what your parents did. Like, by faith, you're supposed to move too. And it tells us then what Moses did. And don't rest in what was done before. Yeah, we stand on the shoulders of the ones that came before us. And we're grateful for that. But then there's something for you to do too. There's some movement for you to do too. And then for those of you that are parents or leaders, we should all be leaders leading somebody. I want to tell you that how you move now will affect how your kids move in 20 years. Right, the decisions, the movement that you choose today, this year in 2023, the decisions that you make this year, the movement that you choose will affect how your children move 20 years from now and how your grandchildren move 40 years from now. It's, it's affecting the movement. Moses' parents, they chose a pretty crazy thing. You know what it did? It ultimately set all of God's people free. Ultimately, that's what Moses delivered the people and brought them back to the promised land. 
after 400 years of slavery. So we move with faith. We move with obedience. Jesus showed us that we move with compassion for people. We move in surrender to God. Jesus showed us all four of those things. We need movement. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with this this last thought. And I'm going to read you a quote out of this book and we're done. I was going to go and read it to you, but we don't even have to read it. Um, At the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses was about to die, he's just about to die. End of Deuteronomy, just about to start the book of Joshua in your Bible. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is about to die, and he lays hands on Joshua, and it says that Joshua received the spirit of wisdom. Wow, that's awesome. Joshua was about to lead the people, and he received the spirit of wisdom. And then in the whole entire book of Joshua, there there are no conversations about wisdom. In fact, not even the word wisdom is used in the whole book of Joshua. That was solved. In the chapter before. And when you turn the page to Joshua 1, the conversation is all about courage. Have courage, Joshua. Be strong and of good courage. You know what that tells me? He knew what to do. It was just scary. He knew what direction to head. He knew what was the next step to make. He he wasn't lacking in the wisdom of, oh God, what is it that you want me to do? Like he knew it was just hard. Because then the whole book of Joshua was just saying, have courage, have courage. You don't need courage if there's not fear present. If you're not afraid, if you're not shaking in your boots, why would you need courage? You wouldn't. So that tells me Joshua was afraid. He was scared. He was being called to do something that Moses couldn't even do. The greatest prophet that Israel had ever known. Nobody's ever done the mighty works that Moses did. He went before Pharaoh and brought all these plagues. And he challenged the most powerful man on the planet at that time with the most powerful armies in Pharaoh. And nobody had ever done that. And now Joshua was being called to do something Moses couldn't do. Take the land. Cross the Jordan. The conversation was all about courage. He knew what to do. I just don't know what God wants me to do. And that lie will carry you to your grave if you let it. You will think up to the end. Well, I never had the talent, or I never had the opportunity. I guess I never got my big break. I just never had the connections that that I needed to do something big or to change the world. Or I want to tell you today that if you never do anything great, if you don't leave your mark, if you don't leave a legacy, it's not because the man kept you down. It's not because you never had an opportunity. It is because you were a coward. You didn't have the courage to seize the moments. Courage is to be strengthened of heart. Well, I need clarity. No, you need courage. You need faith. You need to move. That's when the clarity comes. I need light so I can see. And then I can get out of the bed. No, you get out of the bed and step into the light and then you can see. You step out in obedience. What does it take? It takes courage. I'm going to read you this this quote and we'll pray it's out of the book um, going all in I've read you some quotes out of here before it's written about the missionaries that used to they were extreme 
but they would get the call to go somewhere and preach to a certain people and they would get a coffin a wooden coffin and they would pack everything that they own into that coffin as a sign that I'm going here and I'll never come back I'm giving my life for the purpose of reaching these people and so they would pack their coffins and they would go and and it tells the story of this guy that went to this village and it was a really rough tribe of people and well I won't go into the whole story but uh, he stayed there and he preached the gospel to him and he shined a light until one day when he died and they buried him in the very center of their village and they made him this big monument and tombstone and on the on the stone it was carved in were these words when he came there was no light and when he left there was no darkness When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? And that faithfulness is holding the fort. That playing it safe is safe. And that there's any greater privilege than sacrifice. That radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell whatever hell you may be trapped in. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical. It's normal. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all. Pack your coffin. How do we save nothing for the next life? God, how do we go all in? We want to move. God, move us. We want to slay giants. We want to be courageous. We want to be generous. And we know that it's going to take courage and faith. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for preparing us. Thank you for connections. Thank you for this community for brothers and sisters and family and thank you for the call that you've placed on us as a body I ask you to give us wisdom and give us courage God we love you we want to be all that you've called us to be so we're going to move we make a commitment to move in all areas we want to be ready. God, we love you. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thanks for picking us up every time we fall. Thank you that you use everything that we've been through. In Jesus' name, amen.